Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. This week, we continue with our four-part series on the exploration of sexuality and spiritual companionship. Facilitated by Frederica Helmier, we present to you a series of perspectives from several spiritual directors, pastors, and guides on how they approach sexuality in their roles as spiritual companions. These episodes are offered in conjunction with an upcoming webinar series, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics and Sexuality, which you can learn more about on our website, sdicompanions.org. This week features a conversation with Frederica, Professor and Spiritual Director Westina Matthews, and Episcopal Priest Father Tommy Watkins, who will both be presenters at our upcoming Santa Fe conference. Tommy, when he and presents, when you see him, he'll just say, sex, let's just say sex. Sex is going to be good. Let's say it. Let's say the word, you know, like. Well, and I, you know, one of the interesting things is when we talk about sex, it's such a taboo subject. And it's so ironic that Christians should have trouble with sex and sexuality when we're the only people on the planet that proclaim that the God, the creator of the universe, came in the flesh. Hello again, SDI podcast listeners. This is Frederica Helmier. And today's podcast is part two of our four-part series on spiritual companionship and sexuality. Last Monday, the series launched with Karen Ehrlichman, who is a spiritual companion and a psychotherapist. And together, Karen and I discussed what I think of as kind of the the parameters, the boundaries, uh, the on-ramp to this topic. We talked about making a space, a brave space for this topic to show up in spiritual direction. We talked about the role of a spiritual companion and how it's different than that of, say, a clergy person or a therapist or even a good friend. We talked about ethical boundaries and transference and counter-transference and exploitation and discomfort and mystery and ritual. And it was such a rich conversation. And today it continues. We hear from the Reverend Dr. Tommy Watkins and Dr. Westina Matthews. And I loved this conversation because these two guests are drawing from deep wells and they have a lovely rapport. They've known each other for a while. And they both approach the topic of sexuality through contemplation. In fact, Tommy and Westina co-authored a workbook called Contemplative Approaches to Sexuality and Spirituality. And it is available for free on the Episcopal Evangelism Society website. Westina Matthews is an adjunct professor for the Center of Christian Spirituality at the General Theological Seminary in New York City, and she teaches courses there on contemplative spiritual direction. She herself is a graduate of the Spiritual Guidance Program at the Shalam Institute, uh, and her spiritual direction and retreat leadership practices reflect deep contemplative living through holy listening. And it was a joy to experience that in speaking with Westina when we connected a few weeks ago. The Reverend Dr. Tommy Watkins is a certified spiritual director, and he is currently serving as the rector of St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. 
He's also a graduate professor at the University of Alabama's School of Social Work and is a licensed behavioral health social worker. Tommy is the first openly gay ordained black priest in the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama. He has a PhD in public health, and he also earned an MDiv from Graduate Theological Seminary, which is where he crossed paths with Westina. He has a, a lot of publications out on religiosity and spirituality and sexuality and health, and also a book about his own struggle for self-acceptance called Living Out Loud, and a workbook called God's Gift, Sexuality and Spirituality. So these two are just eminently qualified to talk about this this subject uh, in the context of spiritual companionship and um, illuminate it for us. And it was rich and beautiful, and I hope you enjoy it. So I'd like to begin by asking both of you to speak briefly to your own spiritual journey, which has led you respectively into and out of the U.S. Navy, Wall Street, uh, a variety of spaces uh, into seminary and into roles as a spiritual companion. So if you could just share with our listeners briefly how you arrived at where you are now. And let's begin with Westina. Well, I began this journey, actually, as you said, I worked on Wall Street for 24 years and I was retired as a managing director, but about six or seven years before I retired, 9-11 happened. And it was a life-changing moment. I was there. I was down there and I was running for my life, 34 flights down the stairs in the World Financial Center and over the Brooklyn Bridge in 45 minutes. I said, Jackie Joyner Kirschman's got nothing on me. But it was trying to make sense out of this experience, you know, and, and, and I suppose we're all living through that now with the pandemic, like never thought this would happen, life and death. And it really drew me into questioning where is God in all of this? And where am I in my relationship with God in all of this? And I began to speak about that, not only in corporate settings, but also in churches. My background is my father was an AME minister, um, so I was raised in the church. And as I began speaking about it and how to have faith, people began to ask if they could meet with me afterwards and have one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm like, why? And they said, I'd like to spend time with you. And then as I went to clergy, I learned about spiritual direction. I didn't know. And one of the things we learn in spiritual direction is that are people coming to you and asking for that kind of support? And so at the time I was uh, attending Trinity Church Wall Street in New York City, and someone there, I was chairing his discernment committee, he said, why don't you consider offering spiritual direction at General Theological Seminary? And by then I had completed my studies, two-year studies at Shalane with Tilden Edwards. And so I began to offer spiritual direction at GTS. And then from that, they asked me what I teach because I do have a doctorate and a couple of postdocs. So I sort of backed into this. It wasn't as uh, intentional as I'm sure someone goes through like Tommy in a discernment process uh, to answer the call to priesthood. But it has been so rewarding to do this work and it's and it's how I met Tommy in a class in one of my classes that I teach I teach a contemplative spiritual direction supervision introduction to it 
practices. And Tommy, you took two or three classes with me, I think. And you were in spiritual direction with me. So I, that's a good setup for you, Tommy. You can talk about your own journey and then how we came to be together to team on this work. So I, you know, grew up in the uh, Baptist church and uh, long story short, through a series of things, I was at the, uh, uh, appointed to the Naval Academy in my senior year. I got kicked out and was uh, told that I owed the Navy $86,000 for my education. And that began my kind of dark night, the soul of um, dealing with, uh, wrestling with the religiosity of my own sexual orientation, that I was wrong and did I choose to be gay and was God okay with me or uh, did God love me and support me and was I still a child of, of God and through that I started doing um, health education work and started uh, an HIV AIDS ministry in Miami Florida called the Ministry of Reconciliation to uh, really open up in the, the church to people who either because of their health status or HIV status specifically or their sexual orientation had been you know maligned or marginalized by the church and First of all, moved from Miami back to Alabama, did a master's in social work, and thought that would answer my call to help people. And it seemed I still discerned a call to the, the priesthood in the Episcopal Church and started that process in Alabama and was put on hold because our bishop retired. So I got a doctorate in public health and thought that checked the box. But <laughs> <laughs> never would a openly gay black man be allowed to be a priest in the church in Alabama? So I went to the bishop expecting them to say, we're not ready yet, no, et cetera. And they said, yes, we, the church needs you, went through seminary and thought that I would not come back to Alabama. And just about the time I was going to look for other dioceses, the law changed about marriage, our diocese, and uh, posture changed about same gender love and clergy before we were not allowed to profess that we were openly gay. We had to be quote unquote celibate, which was a peculiar requirement just for gay clergy and not heterosexual. But through that seeking, I uh, took a couple of classes with Westina. And after 2015, when the church changed its canon on what marriage was, I said to Westina, I don't think anybody has equipped clergy how to do same gender loving couples counseling. Have they talked to us about uh, sexuality, period? And at first, my first year there, I, I kind of raised the issue with Westina. She said, well, that's I not said no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel like, called to this. She was this like, is not my no issue. That. Like, she was like, that, that's your stuff. You know, that's, that's right. your and as I think we discern more, I'll let her, you know, talk about it. But that's kind of how our paths crossed. And we said, hey, let's let's just try this. This is crazy. But we're going to we're going to try it. And we applied for some funding and got it. And we said, OK, that that seems to be God saying, go ahead. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's it would be fair to say, I mean, I am um, heterosexual. I'm, I'm married. And as I said, raised in the AME church, and I'm convinced that if my father was alive today, he would not perform a same-sex marriage. 
My sister says he would. I say no. We'll never know till I get to heaven. I guess I can ask him. And he probably would say, is this the first question you have? (laughs) (laughs) So I won't do that. But I didn't feel that I was called. But when the Episcopal Church did say there could be same-sex marriage, I had feelings about it. I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Tommy had been in classes with me and was one of my directees. And I felt God just calling me to say, well, there has to be a place to have the conversation. Because I wasn't going to leave the church because of the decision, but I had mixed feelings. So how do we do that? And I thought a contemplative approach Mm. would be the way to have it where it's open. There's questions and nobody knows the answers, but through prayer, we can create a safe and sacred space to have the conversation. But, but you know, we piloted this initially with a church, and people who came were not leaders necessarily. It was just everyday people that were interested in the topic, wanted a safe place. They were gay, they were straight. It was whoever that was there that we used those materials, and subsequently we went down to Beacon Center, and the people there were most, mostly lay people. They were just everyday people that wanted to be engaged with the topic. Mm. We even went to El Salvador. We had received a second grant, a Conan grant, and we went to El Salvador. And while there were some leaders, we even had government leaders that attended, but we also had just everyday people who wanted to be, to be engaged in the topic in a safe space and that they could express their their own point of view. I even used it in my own parish, which is largely retired, so that mm-hmm. having a conversation with them about sex, asking questions like, how did you first learn about sex? And then the tittering, and then as, as they shared how they first learned about sex, I thought was really a way to open the door to have the conversation. Christina Matthews is an adjunct professor for the Center for Christian Spirituality at the General Theological Seminary, where she teaches contemplative spiritual direction. A graduate of the Spiritual Guidance Program at the Shalem Institute, she is an author, public speaker, spiritual director, and retreat leader whose practice reflects contemplative living through holy listening. Father Tommy Watkins, the first openly gay ordained black priest in the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama, is the rector of St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He is a certified spiritual director and licensed master social worker with a doctorate from the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, and an MDiv degree from the General Theological Seminary. Support for this podcast comes from SDI's upcoming webinar, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics and Sexuality. In this two-part webinar, we will explore embodied spirituality, sexuality, and the divine erotic as they relate to the practice of spiritual companionship. Join us for this practice-based training designed for spiritual companions, guides, and directors. 
Learn more on our website, www.sdicompanions.org. And now, here's part two of our conversation. When I do the workshops, it's interesting. Many of the participants say, you know, Father Tommy, I've never thought about praying about my sex life. I've never thought about praying about my sexuality. I never thought about praying about my sexual desire, that they are God-given, that they are positive, that, you know, and I think we as humans find that we have a lot of trouble with sex and sexuality because there's nowhere to put that energy, which is one of the most powerful energies available to humankind is that intimacy, sexual desire and intimacy, which is not, you know, negative. And the Catholic Church, the first Christians, largely men, said, okay, we, you know, we have the virgin birth, so we don't have to talk about sex. All the clergy are celibate, so we don't have to talk about sex. So we've tabooed it, yet we're the ones that you come to when you're having problems with sex. And we tend to only come when it's negative. It was one lady in the, in the conversation when I talked about sex and sexuality, and in her mind, it was her trauma because she was uh, raped. And so when I mentioned sex and sexuality and how it's beautiful and positive, in her mind, it was only about the negative. And I think church has to stop talking about sex that way. You know, my dad, my mother is uh, passed. My dad is dating. My patriarch of our family, he's 80 years old. He had, you know, our joke is he lives free. His wife, he's a widower. And uh, he has four or five, uh, he calls them prayer partners. And so he's enjoying, I think, life and uh, companionship is something that we look at negative. We call this gifts from God, spirituality and sexuality, because it's, it's not just Christian. You know, it's being a contemplative. I, I pull from all faith traditions. And so it's, it's a gift. It's all about the gift. And I think that that's important. And we have um, taught this to those who are are learning how to be a spiritual director. So how do you have these conversations when, when a directee comes to you? So that that becomes a critical part of this, that first you have to understand your own relationship and your own understanding where your comfort is with sexuality. And then how do you then with a directee, in fact, we do role playing and give situations to people. So they could be same sex, opposite sex, we address those who have multiple partners, uh, open marriages, open relationships, so that it's not just that the LBGQT plus, is that right? Uh, yeah, A, <laughs> I'm learning this. LGBTQA. And QA, okay. So it's not just that. In fact, Tommy just presented at a gathering of leaders, and what struck me, there were about 25 in the session they were spending more time about talking about people coming to them where the spouse has an affair or there's an open marriage and the other person isn't sure how they feel about it and they're wondering how do they relate because you've got to talk about your own feelings mm. around the issue and be truthful and authentic. You know, one of the assumptions we make is marriage is monogamous. Mm-hmm. And for some people that's true and for some it's not. And culturally, I hate to say it, but we're okay with that. I mean, you know, we think about President Clinton, we did not impeach him for adultery. 
we as clergy very rarely will preach a sermon on adultery. And so what I think has to happen uh, at the Gathering Leaders Conference, what was also telling is everyone in the room knew someone who was non-heterosexual. And I think the more people are, quote unquote, coming out, uh, I think attitudes, beliefs, behaviors are changing. Part of me believes it's always been this way. It's just been covered up. I remember a cousin of mine had a roommate for years. And there was an elderly lady who was a musician of our church who lived with her quote unquote sister. But they took pictures together. You know, one sister was standing behind the other and they had a guy who was always there to kind of, I guess, put me and my brother off because I was like, this is interesting. Because there was only one bed that was ever messed up, but I wasn't supposed to get it at five and six years old. So I, I just think that these type of relationships, and that's what I think the contemplative approach stresses to people is that it's not about sex only. That it's really about our relationship foundationally with our spirituality, with ourselves, with God, and with one another. And if you're not able to be honest about something so profound, significant, and basic, how then can you live an authentic existence in this world with another human being? I do think that is what has caused a lot of people to have issues in their relationships. Some of Tommy's experiences and mine of going out separately to offer these materials, we realized, and that's why we went back and received a, applied and received a second grant, we needed to update because we needed to include the sexual harassment, the exploitation, and the Me Too movement as well, because that is also on that continuum of sexuality, that some people have different experiences that are not good. And so if you're working with a, a directee and you're a spiritual director and someone comes to you with that issue, with a circumstance or feeling very uncomfortable, how do we create a safe space for them? Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit more. I'm really curious, both of you went through certification formation programs, you were trained in spiritual direction. What were you taught with regards to the space for this topic within the context of spiritual direction? How were you sort of invited to consider bringing this in to a spiritual direction, a spiritual companionship session, or what were you invited to do when it came up? And has that training, whatever training you receive, whatever instructions or advice you receive, does that match then with your experience of offering spiritual direction and experiencing this topic come up in that space? Well, let me say that in my own training with Shalem, it never came up as a topic. What we were trained, though, was how to ask open-ended questions and to identify where we had our own resistance. And so that was probably why it took me three years before I said yes to Tommy, because I had to really do some internal inner work about what's my resistance about taking what I know about a contemplative approach and joining it with sexuality. Where is my resistance? And so I think that was my experience. Tommy, now, I wasn't the only one who taught you at General so that you can say what you want to about Well, that. Well, I think Westina teaches a, you know, contemplative approach about asking the right question, 
So it would come up in, you know, I've asked directees, so tell me what you haven't prayed for. Tell me what you haven't prayed about. There's uh, a different approach. It's more uh, counseling one-on-one. Another instructor has where you kind of allow the directee to talk about what they want to pray about or kind of individualized approach. So sexuality might come up there. As a rule of thumb, I don't think I went to the spiritual directors and the national conference in 2015, I think. And I was told that that was the first time that the topic had been raised there. And I think we had about 40 participants in the workshop where I did more of the sexuality and spirituality topic about where the prejudice comes from. Like, so why is sex and sexuality and sex and spirit seen as dichotomous, never intersecting Mm. ideas and not as something more integrated? Well, I'm so pleased that we are moving in the right direction, I think, at SDI in terms of offering more and more workshops and webinars that dig deeper into this and other topics that have been historically ignored or marginalized. And when we do finally all meet together in Santa Fe next April of 2021, your workshop will be one of several that are really just explicitly looking at bodies, gender, sex, sexuality, and spirituality and the intersection. And it's an invitation for us all to think about what is asked of us as spiritual companions in our time. What are these days? What does this time require of us? And I love that you are inviting us to kind of dig into this topic, but not in a cerebral way or a theoretical way or an intellectual way, in a very sort of heart-centered contemplative way. And I like the way that you offered this workshop, the way you described it was one that would not be didactic, would not be sort of teaching. Here's the information that you need. Here is sort of data or knowledge, but rather creating this space to share knowledge and to share experiences and have a really healthy conversation. And so, Wistina, you mentioned some of these questions that you ask mm-hmm. you as well, Father Tommy, these open-ended questions. Can you share a few questions that you might use in the workshop or you might use in a spiritual direction session that are open and can invite people to go into this territory that maybe ordinarily is really protected and closed off? The first questions would be certainly around their own experience with their sexuality and how how is their relationship with God when they think of their own sexuality? That always puts people off like, God, God, God knows about my sexuality? Yes. You know, how is that with you? And do you find that you are welcoming to all? And where might you have a resistance? So maybe people say, well, I'm okay with if they're gay, but transgender goes too far for me. It's like, where do you find, is there, is it fluid? Or are you, wow. I remember on the last day, Tommy and I um, taught a a weekend intensive, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it wasn't until the last day, one of the students who I'd had in classes for three years revealed that she'd been in an open marriage, she and her husband, their entire marriage but they've never told their families. 
And so it was interesting that she felt safe, that she could share that. And then the question would be, how does that make you feel, that you're unable to share your authentic self with your family? How is that? And on the last day, we had one of our classmates come in in a skirt. I guess he felt comfortable enough to say that this is who I am. And folks were able to receive and be okay with that. So finding those kinds of those questions, I think, are important. Now, you see, it's a little unfair because the way I do it is through holy listening. And if they, when those who come to the workshop, I'll have a candle. Okay, so it'll probably be electric because our battery, because we'll be in a place where I can't. But I usually light a candle. We have oils. We have music. There's a singing bowl. It's bringing people together. And then we begin to have the questions. And it's the holy listening that I'm able then to ask the questions. I don't come in with prefabricated questions. So it's not prescriptive. It is, where is the spirit leading us in this time together to have the conversation? And I'm always wonderfully surprised of how God shows up in those conversations with people. And sometimes they don't say anything. Sometimes they just start to cry. The tears just start to come. And it may be a, a long time before they can share their own struggles. Maybe it's that they have a child who has now come out or a child who wants to go through the transgender process and how they're struggling with that. And it's okay to bring your hopes and your fears and your concerns and your love if we bring it all together in prayer. And, you know, one of the probing questions I may ask is, when was the last time you prayed about your sexual health? Or when was the last time you prayed about your sexuality? And, you know, some will say, you know, never. Or what? I was supposed to? And, you know, I had one of my friends tell me that she, you know, was lonely and she was waiting for her Boaz. And so we pulled out the Bible and we read this story of Ruth and, uh, and Naomi and Boaz and how, you know, the euphemism of uncovering your feet and how Boaz and Naomi, it was calculated and she wanted to get pregnant. So she went and found him and uncovered his feet when he was sleeping and and to read biblical stories about sex and sexuality, for some people, they think it's just in the Song of Solomon, or it's not in the New Testament, or it doesn't belong as part of it. And, you know, as a public health person, I always talk about that your sexual health is more than prevention from a sexually transmitted infection. It's about how do you display it positively? You know, I had a question of how often, you know, and I said, oh, like Jesus said, as often as you do this, you know, <laughs> I mean, what is healthy sexuality? We don't talk about that. What is sexual health? And it's not just reproductive health. I think talking about sex can be very healthy and prescriptive and can help people's sex life. And I think that we tend to dichotomize it or not put the right emphasis or energy into a healthy sexual 
life until it's too late or no past time. And I really think that's an indictment against specifically religious folks, that religion has tried to prescribe uh, healthy sexuality. And it's ne- I don't think that was never the intent of religion or religiosity. I think that spirituality is much more the vehicle and the the way that we are to be with one another. And so I kind of start there with mind, body, spirit. I did that in the Virgin Islands. And at first people were a little, you know, the seniors, um, young people with blessing, because they were like, I ain't talking about sex in here with my mama and grandmama. And then grandmama started answering all the questions. <laughs> and then it was like, well, wait a minute. How you know about that? Now, you know, there's Christian Mingle and eHarmony, you know, and then there's FarmersOnly.com. So, I mean, so there's this desire for intimacy. So why didn't the church talk about it? How do we make it negative? And I think, you know, COVID-19 has really, really um, profoundly impacted people who have to now be distant. So what will it mean when we're together? I think uh, one of the sacredness of tonight and today, the Passover and, you know, the idea of washing feet, which uh, foot washing, which was almost a sacrament, if not the one that Jesus instituted, is the touch. There's something so sacred about touch. And I think in scripture, Jesus touched people he was not supposed to cross boundary, especially with women. He was not even supposed to talk to And talking and touching is how we are liberated sexually, too. We have to have a sexual connotation. It's just powerful. Some of the work we do is around shame as well, because there is that shame that becomes inherent with sex that we may grow up with. And and how do you address that? I mean, I remember when I, I was a virgin when I got married because my father was a minister. That's what you did. And. Then my sister had been married a year before, a couple of years before. I, I was like, do you think our parents know how much fun this is, sex? Because they never talked about it being enjoyable and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was sort of a shame that if you, if you would do that. So, so it's all about bringing your authentic self in relationship with your higher power, where, however you choose to call your higher power with yourself, with your higher power, and with others. It's all about bringing, being authentic. It's okay to be authentic and be who you are and be able to say, I'm not really comfortable with all that's going on yeah. here. It's okay. Yeah. That, that's okay, too. Our workshop and the work that we do is not to convince people to have a certain point of view, but rather to create a place to have the conversation. You know, Brene Brown, a social worker, talks about shame is the belief that we are intensely unloving, you know, and capable of being loved. And that an intensely painful feeling of being unloved and, you know, belonging. Mm. And I talk about in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and they were naked and felt no shame. Mm. You know, that our natural disposition is to be open and authentic to each other. Mm-hmm. And somehow Adam and Eve had a conversation with the serpent and God comes along as normal and says, well, where are you, Adam? And Adam says, well, I hid because I was afraid because I was ashamed 
because I, I was naked. And God said, well, who told you that you were naked? And I think if there was a sin, the original separation from ourselves and God and each other, it's the belief in the entity, the words of another entity superlative to our creator. Because mm-hmm. the only reason I thought something was wrong with me being who I was was because the church, my family, society told me that. I believed that, so then they became my God. They were my idol. And I think that's why the first commandment is hear, hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that oneness, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that our natural disposition is to be found whole, where we get the word saved, where we get the word healed. And that we we walk around fragmented. My sexual life is over here. My emotional life is here. My spiritual life is here. And this is all you get to see. All of this is fragmented, disjointed. And I think that's why Americans, we take medicine to get up, stay up, go to sleep, stay asleep. We have such disparities within us, the dis-ease that goes on within us because our energies are so scattered because we're listening to the words of so many other entities. We call it holy longing, H-O-L-Y, longing, then holy longing, W-H-O-L-L-Y, longing. Mm -hmm. How do we bring those together? Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that the two of you are among a growing number of people who are doing such important work to help us all overcome this shame that we all we all mm-hmm. grew up with, whether or not we grew up religious or Christian, right. we right. breathe the air, we drink the water of the culture that we're in, and we've internalized enormous body shame and shame around mm-hmm. our, our feelings. And so thank God for the work that is happening, that has happened for a while and is increasingly being brought forward in, in really important, powerful ways. I want to circle back to something you said earlier, Tommy. I um. I think I do want to briefly diverge because I want to ask you about your dissertation, your PhD dissertation. And I have a question to it, but I, I found it so fascinating. You you were looking at spirituality and religiosity and health outcomes on black uh, non-heterosexual men. Is that correct? Yes. And, and, mm-hmm. and discovering that um, there is a, a correlation, I think, between the more religious the poorer the health outcomes were, and that there is this real connection to, to shame in there. Uh, my question for you is, you, you are distinguishing between relig- religiosity, religion, and spirituality. Did you find that folks who identified more as spiritual or had that of a deep spiritual contemplative practice, that there was less of that correlation to, to poorer health outcomes than those who were kind of deep, steeped in institutionalized religion or, or no? Yeah, we found that, and this was just one study and uh, analysis, that the more religious identified, those that went to church, prayed before meals, read a holy text, uh, tended to have more sex partners, more rates of substance use and abuse, and higher rates of depression. Mm -hmm. And we found the opposite to be true for uh, men in the study who identified as spiritual. And, you know, the funny thing is when I started it, many people said, well, you're trying to bash the church. And the chair of my department said, well, I I don't think public health should talk about this. And I said, oh, okay, well, we're going to wait till the church decides to, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just not going to happen. But 
public health people feel religion is taboo and you know and that shouldn't be touched but we do 12-step work we talk about spirituality in 12 steps and it's interesting that if spirituality has such a positive impact on addiction and recovery and resilience uh, when it comes to the trauma of shame uh, and what, what I looked at is cognitive dissonance, how the man had been wounded. One of the things that is interesting is a lot of black men would say that there still is this economy around other non-white males in our world uh, about our bodies. We see it with women who look a certain way, their economy is around their bodies, and also men. Black men, if we're in a military, uh, athletic, prison or clergy uniform, we're, we're kind of, those are the four ways we're seen. Uh, if we're intellectual and known for our intellect, like President Obama, there's this catastrophic, like, don't compute, doesn't compute. And so it was about that internalized narrative, internalized shame that produced the cognitive dissonance where black men would say, I should do this, but the cognitive dissonance, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we could do more studies about the resiliency of black men and then, and looking at changing that narrative around shame. You know, Brene Brown is one of the few people I know in public health or social work that has talked about shame as the thing uh, to talk about. And I think shame is the linchpin between the public health world and the spiritual world where that demon, if you will, because, you know, guilt is, uh, I did something and now I apologize for it or I can correct it. I stole $10 for you. So I'm going to make a man and give you the money back. Shame is not what I did is bad. Shame says who I am is bad. Mm -hmm. And as a black gay man in Alabama, that's what I grew up with. Something's wrong with you. Nobody's going to love you. You're a piece of crap. You know, not only are you black, but then you're a male and you're gay. No, it's not going to work. And I think that the shame demon, I think that is really the, the belief that I can't be loved, which then connotates fear. And that, that is where a lot of humans abide in that toxic shame and fear. And one more thing, I I think that's why, you know, tonight, when you think about, uh, when I think about people's economy around their feet, so you think about, I'm going to dinner and I got to, somebody's going to wash my feet. You're going to see my toes. You're going to smell my feet. You're going to touch my heel, my bunions. You know, there is this shame around our feet that Jesus exposes and cares for and caresses. And I really think the church glossed over that, where Jesus says, if I don't deal with your shame, you have no part with me. I can deal with this. I'm going to show it to me. And it goes away, but we don't want I want to ask also about something that was brought up earlier. You know, we're, we're now deep into COVID-19 sequestration and whatever spiritual direction or companionship that's happening, including, you know, and, and all forms of therapy and 
counseling. It's all happening virtually if it's happening. And so we don't have the option to touch one another when we're meeting by Zoom. I am so always been sort of curious uh, when I speak with spiritual directors and companions, I'm always interested in what they have been taught and what they practice around touch in spiritual direction. Do either of you experience physical touch with your directee? Do you hold hands? Do you hug? Or do you not touch? And, and why do you, have you made the decision? Yeah, that? I, I do ending a session. I ask them, is it okay if we pray together and then we hold hands and pray together? I pray for them, they pray for me, or is it just a joint prayer? But I always ask if it's okay. Some people don't want to be touched. And they may want to hug. Sometimes they want to hug. But we've created safe boundaries and safe space and so that, and in fact, that some of the role-playing we have, that someone may become enamored with sexually fantasized either about your directee or the directee has it about the director. What do you do about that? But I do, I do um, touch. So I miss that in the spiritual direction. But, you know, I'm learning the power of virtual hugs in a way that I didn't realize. And virtual is not just Zoom. It may be now that I find a poem or something and I send it to a directee, or there's a song that I've discovered and, and I, on YouTube and I send it or I'll get it and I'm getting virtual hugs yeah. in a way that I had not appreciated before. I do find it interesting during this time, I'm going to Thich Nhat, I'm going to Pima Chandran, I'm going to the Buddhists and the Tibetan traditions and listening again and watching the videos and, and the books on tape. And that's where I'm getting nourished right now because it is this isolation and it is being silent. And how do I get centered? Mm. How do I make sense out of nonsense? Mm. So I find myself pulling from other traditions in a way that I welcome. My yogi instructor, Rudy, once he said, he taught us to say, I welcome this, and this I welcome too. Oh, I welcome this, and this I welcome too. But the question is for, for directors, for directees, for everyone during this virus, what do you miss most? Is it the smell, as Tommy's talking about? Is it the touch? Is it hearing something? Is it tasting? What are you, what are you missing right now? And doing spiritual direction, I do touch, uh, pray with my sponsees, uh, directees in the beginning and the end of the session. And if uh, they want to do hug. Uh, and, you know, I think non-sexual touch, I don't know if people experience that. I, I often wonder when you were talking, like, my dad and I will hug, uh, not every time we see each other, but my mom and I used to all the time, and my aunt. But I wonder, you know, some individuals, the peace and church is the only time that they are hugged. Once a week, you know, you think about that. And at work, that you know, it's like this. At home, it's like this. And, you know, you think about the nurturing that sometimes doesn't happen for people with uh, 
with the touching like you talked about i i just i think we are so uh sex phobic i honestly we are so scared that we're gonna like being hugged and something's wrong with that you know mm-hmm. or tell people traditionally that you know i'm a hugger so i will not if somebody extends their hand i'll say is it okay to give them a hug uh, I, I do the same thing tommy when we finally meet in santa fe i'm a hugger too so now yeah, we can I, find each other and do a yeah, hug. Uh, <laughs> and I, I would say that i'm i'm leading online half day retreats now for various retreat centers and churches and i'm now sending out how to prepare and so i invite them to have a candle to have something that would be a sense, you know, if it's a flower or what could they have? Because mm-hmm. they'll see me with the oil and they'll see me light the candle. I have my singing bowl, um, music, how to create a sacred space. So it's lovely, actually, yeah. because it's very intentional now to come together. Yeah. And I cap it. Right now we're capping it to 25 people so that we can see one another on the screen and there is an opportunity to engage. So, but it's it's different, but then you treasure it. That's why I go to Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, it's like when you sip the tea, this is what you're doing. Yeah. You're tasting the tea, yeah. you're in the moment. This is where you are. I wonder if each of you, Father Tommy and Westina, w- would like to offer just a closing, a closing thought or an offering to the spiritual directors who are listening to this podcast. I would just offer a openness prayer for their openness and freedom and nourishment that they may have never experienced. It's a time to be and not to do. Be present in the presence. Allow yourself to feel the joy, a sense of hope, but also the sorrow and the grief for it's all in this moment this time all is well and all will be well together if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.